Welcome to Masters of the Educational Universe with your host, Dr. Jackie Throngart. And welcome back to Masters of the Educational Universe. And today we have another student career success story. <laughs> Woo! And with me, I have Karen Duff McCall. Hello. Who was an HR assistant at Western States. She has a degree in psychology, bachelor's of science, right? Uh, bachelor's of arts, actually. Oh, okay. And your master's degree is in instructional and performance technology, is it not? It is, yes. Isn't that where I met you? It is where you met me, actually. That's right. Although we did technically get our psychology degrees together, and I think we had one class together when we were undergrads, we just didn't know each other. That's right, because I was kind of antisocial during that period of time. Not going to lie, it's true. And you just got a new promotion, right? I did. I actually just attended training to become our my company's Smith's Defensive Driving Instructor. So I'll be instructing everyone for, who operates a company vehicle, whether it's a commercial motor vehicle or a company car, in defensive driving techniques. Is that where they give you a sword and you just kind of put your hand out the window and be like, gotcha, right in some guy's tire so that you can get over to the right-hand lane? It's gladiator driving, yes. <laughs> Well, the Smith system uh, has it was it's a proven system, and most companies who use it save about ten to fifteen percent in fuel, as well as up to thirty percent in property damages. So we're very excited to have our guys start driving a little bit more defensively and kind of reduce our overhead costs. That's great. Yeah, let's back up before we get started on your actual career here. Tell me about your favorite thing about going to school. My favorite thing about going to school is that I'm actually a first generation college student. Nobody on either side of my family, my dad's side or my mom's side, had ever attended college, let alone graduated. So for me to get an associate's, then a bachelor's, then a master's degree was a very big deal in my family. Oh, you have an associate's degree too. I do. What's your associate's in? I have an associate of arts in psychology. Oh. And I use that to transfer to BSU. Where did you get your associate's done at? At the College of Southern Idaho in Twin Falls. Oh, okay. It was nice to attend a community college for the first two years, especially when you're getting a degree like psychology. Mm -hmm. I noticed at Boise State, a lot of the intro classes were very, very large. Like my Psych 101 class at CSI were 32 people. So it was it was nice to have that kind of small classrooms, especially when you were just getting readjusted to going to school. So were you a traditional student when you got your associates? I was not. Actually, I was a traditional student right after high school. I ran into some personal health issues and had to quit for a while. But when I did go back, I had already met my husband at that time, and I was already in Twin Falls, and I figured it was local and it had a good reputation, and it would be able to get me home to Bo- Boise State. I was a little untraditional, but it worked out. What's the worst experience that you had at school? For those people that might be, you know, looking to upgrade their teaching or their student experience. I would have to say the worst experience I had at school was discovering that not everyone put the same effort into group projects. The very first group project I did as an undergraduate at CSI, uh, we had a five-person team and it was a psychology project. And I think I ended up doing 85% of the work. And that was when I realized that even though you go to your professor sometimes and you explain what happened, they kind of say, that's ah, the real world and that's what happens. And so that was quite the eye opener for me. And it was just, I, I was just horrified. You know, I had that same experience though, because I was so used to working independently. And then when they forced me into groups, which I'm still extremely bitter about, but hey, you know, I learned some <laughs> social skills. Um, A few. Yeah, the same thing happened to me, though. It was like, oh, well, I'm doing all the work. Thanks a lot. 
Yeah, a lot of the students at CSI were there because they, you know, can't, went back to school after being laid off or things like that. And very few of the people around me actually wanted to go on past an associate's degree, which was frustrating for me because that's all I did want was to go on and go past it. So when did you decide to go get your master's degree? What kind of prompted you in that direction? My senior year at BSU, I started, you know, looking for jobs like everyone does. And I was having a really hard time finding quality positions that I would qualify for, you know, that would be good career options. And it came down to psychology is not necessarily a lot, a degree that a lot of people do basic work with. And I discovered about that time that that's kind of when I, I wanted to work in an office environment. I wanted to work with people and I wanted to use that degree, but I also wanted to be on the business operations side. And so at that time, I started looking for graduate programs because I did not want to just get another bachelor's degree. That was my other option was just stay in school and maybe get a bachelor's in business. While presenting at the Rocky Mountain Psychological Association's 2008 convention, I ran into Yanni Chung of the IPT program at Boise State and explained where I was going in my career and what I wanted to do and uh, how industrial psychology in particular was fascinating to me. And she said that, well, maybe... This is what you want. If you want to be with adults and you want to still have an impact, but you want to use your psychology background, I think teaching adults, learning how adults work, how they learn and how you can train them would be right where you want to go. And so the more I looked into it, the more impressed I was. And so I decided to go ahead and apply. And I think it was about a month later that I got accepted. So that went really quickly. Yeah, that's kind of how that happened for me too. As I was in my senior year, same year as you, I was in Chicago, though, at the Midwestern Psychological Association presenting a paper. And they go, well, what are you going to do once you're done with your degree? And I just had this blank look. (laughs) And my, oh, my advisor. Yes, your academic advisor. My academic advisor. I'm so into all of the terminology. Yes, clearly. Dr. Eric Landrum from Boise State University. He looked at me and he's like, you don't have a plan. And he, he was really the first academic that believed in me enough to be persuasive in the, you should go on to graduate school, you would make a fine professor. And then another professor in that same department, Dr. Mary Pritchard, found the IPT department at Boise State. And she knew that I liked working with adult learners and I liked being in charge and training and that kind of stuff. So she was the one that settled me into that area. And I got accepted. I was a late acceptance. And I was sweating bullets. I, yeah. I wasn't sure if they were going to have room for me. And they were like, yeah, we'll take you because you come highly recommended. And I'm like, ooh, because it's definitely not my stunning GPA at that point. <laughs> really had to work hard to get into the doctorate program. I was like, but my GPA is awesome for master's degree. Online education is really big right now. Yes. What is your favorite online tool? And do you use them at work? And what's most effective at work? I have all these questions for you. <laughs> We use a variety of e-learning at work. Uh, We have some that comes pre-packaged. We are a Caterpillar dealer. Caterpillar has its own proprietary e-learning packages. We also do uh, creation of in-house training that we have a platform. We use a Sable Publisher platform, and I do that for our company. My favorite online tool, though, when it comes to online learning is anything that allows for collaboration. And when I say collaboration, I don't mean you know, quick comments back and forth, but any tool that allows you to have and record those kinds of in-depth conversations and have question and answer periods. We don't use anything along those lines at work right now. 
Mm-hmm. We do. Uh, we have recently implemented the Saba Learning Management System. It does have a social feature. It's a very neat program. It does what most e-learning packages do. What's unique about Saba is that it does have the entire HR package. Should an organization want to do that, you can do performance, all of those kinds of things through. I don't think it has a payroll function. Pretty much any other HR function it has, succession planning, talent management, those kinds of things. We have not turned any of those on yet. We're still wrangling with the learning management. We have an aging employee population who are in many times uncomfortable with new technology. So you're kind of on the front end then. We for, are. For Western states, your, your position and what you do you're kind of guiding the company into the more instructional design, online learning tools. Yes. Has there been a lot of resistance to that? Most of the resistance that I come across has to do more with the fear of technology in general. We work with a lot of very, very brilliant people who do everything from sell machines to fix complicated machines. And and when I say complicated, I, I tried to drive a bulldozer and I have to tell you, I have a lot of respect for a guy who can operate a loader. <laughs> they have a lot of levers. They have a lot of levers and our machines now, our brand new ones are tier four compliant. So they're fully EPA compliant with emissions regulations. And that adds an entire new computer system onto the machine itself. Wow. Yeah. So what the resistance that I've had has come from those employees who don't feel equipped in the digital age in general. You know, first it was that they did everything with their hands. It was all turning a wrench. And then we added machines that had computers on board. And when they had to learn a computer program and they were a little reluctant to that, they finally gotten used to this. And now we're expecting them to log into a learning management system. And they don't, they don't know what that means. And they don't know what it means for them. So I've been doing a lot of one-on-one coaching sessions with employees, with leaders, explaining not only what the system is and how it works, but why we've implemented it, how it's going to help our organization grow, and how it's going to help them take control of their own learning and development. And once they go through the process of understanding what the tool is and how they can use it to better themselves, I have a convert every time. You know, you're always going to have those one or two guys who are going to hold out and dig their heels in and say, no, I'm just going to call you to do this. Yep. Those are the guys that are clinging on to retirement. (laughs) The faculty members are like that too. And I know you probably ran across some of those being in in the higher education system for so long. You do get those ones and they're like, I'm not learning that. Mm. Well, it would really help. No. Yep. (laughs) They don't care. No. The answer is always no. You could be giving them a gold brick and they'd be like, no. It's scary. I think that's what it comes down to. It's scary. I wonder if they delete something they need. (laughs) That's, That's the biggest complaint that I get with working with faculty with instructional design is that they were really paranoid that every time that they added a file to one of their courses or like tried to put in a new tool that it was going to delete something and that they were going to have to start this course over. And I'm, you have this stuff saved on your computer, correct? And they're, yeah, I do. So it's okay. But it's, chances are, it's probably not going to delete anything. I've never <laughs> seen it do that before. Just randomly pick one of your files and yank it out. But I, I hear you though. I'm, it's the same thing in academics. That I think our generation was one of the first ones that, you know, we were young enough when the computers started coming out, the home computer... That, that was just fascinating. I played chess on that thing. Oh, me too. And Solitaire and uh, Minesweeper. Do you remember Minesweeper? Yes. And Mahong. Yeah. The Mahjong. Little... Mahjong. See? Once again, not saying it right. <laughs> but those are all things that really, you know, that generation just didn't have to deal with it. I mean, they exactly. had typewriters and they had secretaries that did all that for them. And, and now, well, whip out your smartphone and get the app and, you know, order pizza on an app. I know. I do all of my banking on my phone. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, you can take pictures of checks now. You don't even have to go to the bank. (laughs) It's just incredible. 
I, I love technology. I do too. I'm not a hundred. I'm, I'm not. I'm by no means a guru. No, neither am I. I still get very lost, and then I find a five year old to help me. Yeah, I think I'm the average user. Yeah, and I really when I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to design something, I'm looking at my base clientele that this is going to go out to, and I don't use fancy words. I don't try to sound superior in any way, shape, or form. And I have lots of pictures with arrows. If it's on a PDF, it's this is what the screen looks like. And then a big arrow, that this is the button. Yes. So that they don't have to hunt the screen out for the log. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. Well, we have, I have such a fascinating employee population in that they are truly mechanical engineers. People tend to think of mechanics as, as kind of a, a lesser job, but these, these men and women are brilliant at what they do. And I discovered a very good analogy when I figured out that it was the fear of technology that was causing some of these issues. So I sat one of our guys down one day and, you know, he had just gone through the whole, Karen, I'm not going to do it. I can't. I can't. I can't even turn the damn thing on, is what he told me. He's like, the guy next to me turns my computer on in the morning for me. And I was like, okay, then I have one question for you. He's like, all right. And I was like, what are you going to do when we have a new chassis on a 323? I'm making these up. I didn't actually know if we had chassis on 322s. Turns out we do. Ah, okay. But I took a, I took a chance. Nice guess. I did. I, did, I, took, a, I took an educated ja- guess and asked him what he would do if we changed the chassis on a 323. That's an excavator. And he looked at me like I was kind of dumb. And he's like, well, I can learn how to do that. It's just a chassis. And so I looked at him and I was like, this is just a machine. You can work a machine. He's like, well, yeah. And I was like, if you can learn how a chassis can support all of the weight and functionality of a machine, you can figure out how to turn your laptop on. And so sat down with him and walked him through some of the basics. And I've used that analogy in various forms with a lot of different members of my employee pool and it's been well received. So I think one of the things I really latched onto was find a meaningful analogy that gives people faith that they can do something. A little bit of confidence. A little bit of confidence. But you know, in that guy's defense, computers are getting kind of tricky. Sometimes when I got my new computer, it was hard to find that on button the first time. (laughs) It was kind of hidden. It was like this new age look. And I just kind of fumbled around. They're like, turn on the on switch. Where's that? that? (laughs) But I eventually found it. What advice do you have for somebody who's looking into getting into instructional design or HR? Are there programs that you would suggest that they learn to be more competitive in the workforce? What did you do to get into your particular career? What kind of application process are they looking at? So start working backwards. The application process, particularly the larger the organization, it is almost entirely online. I know we have, I have a relatively small organization. We have less than 800 employees, but our application process is done entirely online. We no longer even accept mailed in resumes. So the first advice that I would give people when they're out looking for a job, particularly if they're going to be in learning or in human resources, is when you get to those applications, everyone always says, you know, customize your cover letter. You do customize your resume. You do, but take the time to fill out every application with meaningful answers. One of the first things we screen employees or potential employees out is we have a series of what we call values questions. They're very simple questions and they're just designed to let us understand how a potential employee would deal with a situation, how trustworthy they are, how honest they are. And a lot of times we'll see answers that are like addressed in resume or we'll discuss during interview. As soon as we see an answer like that, we chuck the resume. We chuck the whole application. So they could be the most brilliant person in the planet. Absolutely. Because they're lazy. 
we don't want them. We figure if they aren't going to take the time to answer five questions, then they're not a diligent enough person that we want them as an employee, that we don't, we don't feel that that bodes well for them as an employee. As for, you know, making yourself competitive, especially with learning human resources or instructional design, I would say the first thing that I would learn how to do is any kind of building software. And when I say building, I mean anything that can make a, a module, anything that can make a demonstration of what you can do to so a if potential you're an acad- employee. So, so if you're an academic, you're looking at Moodle, Blackboard. Yes. That, that's more along the lines of what she's talking about. Yes. Thank you. Lotus Notes, things like that. I am a big fan of Camtasia. I find it very simple to use. Me too. I love the features that it has, uh, particularly where I give a lot of instructions on how do you access this or how do you go to there. The screen capture is probably my favorite tool. The ability to manipulate the screen, zoom in and things like that makes it really easy when it's something simple, Mm -hmm. a simple task for people to follow. And if you're a poor student, I just want to mention if you're you're looking at some of these programs that we're talking about, Camtasia, Captivate, you can get a 30-day free trial. So that you can try to use the software so that you can at least become somewhat professional, proficient so that when you do go in for an interview and they sit you down in front of a machine and they say, make us a little five minute clip, you at least know where the start button is and you know how to use the basic features. So you won't look like an idiot. Exactly. And the nice thing about being a student is I don't, I know Camtasia does uh, a lot of other publishing platforms. They will give you a student discount, if, especially if you go straight to the publisher. Oh, that's true. Is there any other advice that you would give to somebody who's looking into getting into HR? If you're getting into the HR field, get into a good solid generalist position where you're doing just a little bit of everything and it won't take you very long and you'll figure out what you really like to do. And then you can start kind of building up your skill set in that area. Have you ever been a workplace bully? Don't lie. I don't think so. I have. I did it once. If you listen to Workplace Bowling Part 2, the whole story's there. Um, I got to Part 1. I haven't gotten to Part 2 yet. Oh, well, that's okay. I just posted it today, so... <laughs> okay, well, that would explain it. You're making me feel like a jerk. <laughs> this is the only freaking podcast I listen to. Why, thank you. You're welcome. It I really knew I was is. special. Yes. Well, Karen, I just want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing your experiences with me today and to our listeners Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and I have to say I appreciate the laid-back but still informative way that this is presented, and that's a big reason of why I listen to this, is I don't feel like I'm being talked down to. I feel like I'm talking to my friend. Huh. I know something about adult learning theory. Pa-pow! (laughs) And do you have a weird fact that you can send us out on? A weird fact? The best uh, insult I've gotten recently... And I don't think it was supposed to be an insult, but they patted me on the head and said I was an odd little duck. <laughs> and it was just the weirdest thing. He just came up, <laughs> patted me on the duck, uh, patted me on the head, and was you are just an odd little duck, <laughs> and walked away. And I was just flabbergasted. It was amazing. Well, thank- not really a fact, but you know, <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening and for joining us today. We appreciate your listenership. Ta-ta! To contact Dr. Throngard or to guest, you can find her at JackieThrongard.me, Twitter at JackieThrongard, or LinkedIn as JackieThrongard. By the way, Throngard is spelled T-H-R-O-N-G-A-R-D. 